0: This is a re-release of episode 177 due to my health-related hiatus. Try saying that five times fast. I chose this episode of Jamax Corner for the specific reason that it's an incredibly underrated aspect of trust in data. If there is a hidden, missing understanding that when data can be changed without a consumer's understanding or knowledge that leads to far less trust. Most people just don't talk about this or or really address this. So one of the biggest aspects of data mesh is ensuring the proper handling of data, you know, kind of almost that chain of evidence of data and that there are guardrails and guardians around that so they can trust what they're supposed to. It's a nuance that's, like I said, incredibly often overlooked. And as Jamak shares, it's a key reason why she even developed Data mesh in the first place, so I think this is really important to understanding where trust goes wrong in data and how we can, you know, help people understand how to prevent that that trust from eroding and really build up trust in data with people that have been burned in the past.
1: Hi everyone, this is Jean-Mac. I am the creator of Data Mesh, uh, the founder of Next Data. We are reimagining what data sharing could look like if data was a product, if independent teams and individuals could share their data as a product, and if we lived in a world where AI, ML, analytics could be powered by independently owned and responsibly shared data. So that's our vision. If that's appealing to you, if that interests you, we are growing our team rapidly and we need you. If you're a distributed systems engineer, product manager, or a designer of a large-scale past SaaS infrastructure, we'd love to hear from you. Please check out our careers page at nextdata.com.
0: Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. This episode is part of a longer interview I conducted with Shmac Degani who's the founder of the Data Mesh concept and is sponsored by her her company, her startup Next Data. The goal of these conversations is to dig deeper into specific topics rather than skimming the surface and really discuss Shmac's view of the now and the future of data mesh. What is possible now? What can we do to set ourselves up for success in the in the future? And what is her ideal picture in that future once we have the ways of working and the tooling more figured out. Hopefully you get some great insights, as well as seeing the other side of the funny and wonderful person behind the data mesh paradigm. Please do follow Jamak as well for more interesting insights to keep an eye out on what she is working on. I think you'll be very interested and exciting. Now, up next, I'll give a bit of my summary of the episode. So you might focus on a few of the nuanced points that Jamak makes. Sometimes she says some things that are kind of like a picture, right, worth a thousand words in and of themselves, even when she says one sentence. So with that, uh, let's go ahead and hear some fun music, and then we'll get into that summary. Apologies, this uh, intro explainer is a little bit long just because I think this is so important. So if you just want to get to the episode, skip ahead three minutes. This episode is part of a longer conversation, but jumps right into something I think is fundamental to Max's thesis around data in general, but something that can easily be overlooked or might get lost. When data is being copied, it should be owned by a data product. You might have to listen two to three times to this episode. You know, what she's really saying for it to sink in it certainly happened for me. I had to listen to it a few times because there's so many layers and there's so much kind of depth within this concept. Data is often essentially a floating entity in most organizations. It exists as is, as in the data or maybe you might interface it via a data model or, or whatever. And people who stumble across that data don't know its provenance, and but also they can freely modify that data, often with someone else coming along after and discovering what might be the result of somebody modifying that data instead of what that first person came upon. And you don't really know. And, and I know we talk about this with lineage, but there's a deeper layer to it. You know, you could think about this with like a, a shared Google Doc or Google Sheet without the revision history. So you just don't really know, has this been touched? Is is this exactly what I actually think it is? So in data mesh, we don't directly interface with the data, not just because, you know, that cleanup burden of what is this? You know, can I actually use it? That That shouldn't be on the data consumer. And we do want to consume from a product so we know what we get. The other aspect is if data is ever was only ever owned by a data product or as a direct result of somebody consuming from that and you know because you were the one that consumed from it, it significantly increases the trust and not just the trust for the consumer, but also for the producer, because it's much harder to misuse the data if it has to come directly from the source. It adds so much more resilience to the system When you say that you can only interface with something that is designed around protecting and keeping the data clean and keeping it with as high of context as possible, and you know, consumers can trust what they are accessing precisely because the data has been moved only inside of a data product. I think this is really hard to articulate, so I would guess. This episode will be one of those kind of aha episodes five years from now where it just keeps revealing itself more and more because I think there are so many layers to this. So I think you'll get a lot out of this episode, and I think it will be uh, deceptively a lot of great information and kind of impact on people's journeys. Okay, with that shortest summary of the episode done, let's go ahead and get to actually hearing from the woman herself, Shemak Dagani. One thing that you had also mentioned, a lot of this is coming from your uh, wonderful talk you did with Joe Reese recently. Um, And you said something that really I had never thought of, which was whenever data gets copied, it's always owned by a data product. And I really, really love this because it prevents all the shadow copies. It prevents all the kind of risks that a lot of people are very concerned about. So I really, really like that. Have you actually seen this implemented or is this kind of in theory, this is the way it should be. And in reality, it's not like, how can an organization take this to heart?
1: So yeah, so we did this um, at one mm-hmm. of the kind of large clients. But let me, let's go back for a minute and see what, what, uh, what I actually meant by that statement. Um, when I do a bit of kind of soul searching and look at, you know, go deep into like, do the five why's why we have the problems we have with data why the data is stale why the data is fragile why the access to data um is unreliable because fundamentally things decay and change um and for you know for us to work against that uh, we have to create a new way of protecting or creating or sharing data so this this fact that Data is the interface, data schemas and data itself, the bits and bytes, the, the fields and the values, however they're stored, are the interface for using the data. And the fact that data is passive, it has no agency, it has no way of protecting itself, is the root cause of all our, our problems with data. Um, as application developers, we evolved to realize that fairly early on, with, for example, understanding that integration through databases is a terrible idea. It creates these, you know, tightly coupled spaghetti kind of systems that nobody can move. And as soon as one person moves, because they change a field in the database or something, everything falls. Everybody else falls down. So, um, so this idea of copying data around or even directly accessing the data and the data and the data schema is the interface for me something we have to seriously think about and address um, in the data first world that we're you know we're moving toward so then in in the context of data mesh then I created this concept of data product which puts some abstractions and some control and agency and program, essentially, next to that data to say, uh, in fact, the thing that you share and exchange of access and use is not the data anymore. It's a data product. And I refuse kind of stubbornly to use data or data set in my language when we talk about data mesh uh, and always say, oh, it's a data product. In my mind, I know in the back of my mind why I mean by that, because I mean a level of abstraction that protects the data from being attacked from all angles and getting changed unintentionally. It uh, moves the code that maintains that data right next to it, and it, they both evolve together. It's not that, oh, somebody changed the data, we have no idea who changed it. Um, so encapsulate that. And, and the rest of the, the pieces, the metadata and you know documentation, all that sort of stuff that makes that data usable. Um, I would call that a data product. So, then with that assumption, if you are, you know, there is a data product upstream and it provides information about, um, I don't know, the raw material used to make this water bottle that I have. And there is a data product downstream that wants to use that information and combine it with um, sales information and other information to see, okay, if, if you know, how, how changing the material is impacting the sales or, or why, um, if it has to copy some of that data, raw data from that, you know, water bottle um, data product, it's okay because um, because it's encapsulating that in again a, a, a data product with all of the controls and um, the, the quality measures built in. Uh, and also connectivity of that data product to the, the upstream data product to make sure if that once the material keeps changing in the in the future revisions of this water 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 we keep updating this downstream data product and if we don't at least we have an understanding that we haven't because the metadata around when the data product last got updated is, is living with it and is updating with it by the code uh, that's generating that data so um, so it, it alleviates a lot of these issues around entropy data entropy that. You know, things just get stale, people change somewhere, some code upstream and the data gets changed and nobody knows. Like this paranoia around data copying goes away because um, there is a longstanding ownership of that copy connected to the source that's living with that data.
0: And I think you, you said two things in there where, where I kind of, I hadn't thought of the the second aspect of it, of that paranoia aspect of Am I ever going to get access to this again? I should grab this now. And so now you see it's not just the control from the positive or the, the risk access uh, side, but it's also the, the comfort level of people going, okay, I can get back to this. I can see what I've done. And, and this is like there's all these kind of interesting products of people that are trying to install them into Excel. So that way, when people do all their transformations, you can actually just click a button and it creates like kind of a, a, an automatic transformation that pushes back to the source system. So you could just get that output again, you know, so somebody can actually know what got transformed and, and how and all of that, because, you know, Excel obviously doesn't save that very well. But um, I think that aspect of it, I hadn't really thought of. I think that's really a good insight to a, a lot of this. I think a lot of data mesh is about freeing up the information, but it's also about making people feel like it's not live or die. It's not that if I don't get this now, I might not get access to it again, or I need to maintain this in my way because I can't let anybody else do this because you know they can update and change it without me having control and that immutability of like, this doesn't change, so you can Continue to do your work on it, and it's not going to ruin it for anybody else, but no one else can ruin it for you. That's an interesting it's, insight.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think because the system has been so fragile um, and the, 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 the trust, there is an absence of trust in the whole ecosystem of data sharing or data processing in organizations that you just nobody trusts the other person. The data engineers don't trust the app developers because they're kind of oblivious to whatever they're putting on their Kafka topics downstream to the lake. Data scientists are critical of the data engineers because they don't trust the data is up to date or has the information that they need. Like nobody trusts anyone, and everyone's grumpy with the other person um, because they, you know, that we've talked about this many times because of the. Um, fractional roles that are fractional functional roles that people are playing um, cannot end-to-end have the ownership of that value stream from data to value. And the the notion of the data product was, how can I deliver data to value in a localized way around a particular domain and give that end-to-end ownership to someone, a team, and also define these APIs that are that have to meet certain expectations in terms of their longevity and uh, being around and, um, you know, the quality of the data and the guarantees of the data. So that has to get baked in to every piece of data we share through data products. So that creates a, hopefully over time, that creates a system of trust. Again, I go back and use the analogy of the last Large, you know, large paradigm shift we had with large-scale distributed um, systems and with APIs and service-oriented or you know kind of internet-based or web-based APIs. Uh, we don't have that level of paranoia. I mean, do you want to copy all the Stripe services, services on your machine just because you don't trust that the API will be around tomorrow? No, because there's a level of API is the product that Stripe or Twilio or all of these API-first companies um, are providing and maintaining and putting guarantees around it, and they're long-term accountable for it. And if they are uh, retiring those APIs, there is a graceful way of doing that. They they understand the customers kind of needs first, and that that culture doesn't exist in the data system because I think the fundamentally tools and the technology and ways of working has shaped that culture.
0: I'm, I'm just kind of chuckling in my head because I'm just thinking like what you're even saying is internally um, how somebody could talk about data mesh is kind of one of those keep calm shirts. And so I don't know if it's keep calm and analyze on or if it's keep calm and derive additional insights or whatever, but it is that, that trust level. And It's not just about trust in the piece of data that you're accessing. It's about trust in the overall data ecosystem internally. And then you start to think about cross-organization things. You start to think about all of that, that we can derive trust because trust is like more explicitly identified. This is how much you can trust it. I'm going to tell you my SLAs. I'm going to tell you like all of that stuff. So thanks again to Jamak. As a reminder, please check out her startup, Next Data. There's more information about it in the show notes. They're doing some pretty amazing things. She's hiring lots of folks, looking to partner with others, and just kind of check it out. As for me, please do follow up with me as well. I'm pretty easy to find. I'd love to chat, data mesh, or anything kind of in the data realm. Check out datameshunderstanding.com for more information, some useful resources, and things as well. And Jamak and I both wish you an excellent rest of your day. Now with that, let's cue that inspiring outro music.